Shimon Peres when he was foreign minister of Israel. In 2002, he spoke to a group of new immigrants, and he said, quote, The definition of a Jew should not depend on having a Jewish parent or grandparent. Rather, a Jew is someone who raises children in Israel, sends them to the army, and sometimes even loses them in battle. End quote. Perez said that if rabbis wanted to define who a Jew is, then, quote, we will define who a rabbi is, end quote. Welcome to Committing High Reason, a podcast where we dissect important topics such as good versus evil, religion versus no religion, Zionism versus Judaism, and our pet peeve, political propaganda. Committing High Reason will give you tools to strengthen your intellectual independence, enhance your critical thinking, and hopefully acquire some very new perspectives. Now, here's your host, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. A man by the name of Kenneth Stern was the self-described lead drafter of the famous and controversial IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, which says basically, that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Mr. Stern is unhappy about the way this definition has been used. He says in a book that he wrote, in a testimony that he gave to Congress, and in various articles that he has authored, the definition was designed merely as a tool to aid researchers to gather information and data about anti-Semitism. When it turns out To him, this was a big surprise, don't ask me why, that this definition has been weaponized by Zionists to stifle criticism of Israel and Zionism using the law, specifically Title VI and Title VII in the United States, as a threat. These laws protect minorities from hate speech and discrimination. Their relevance to places like the workplace, that's Title VII, and campuses, that's Title VI, so that even though anti-Semitic speech is protected by our First Amendment rights, a college does not have to finance or allow even a Ku Klux Klan club on campus. And although we have the freedom to hire for our private businesses anybody we want, we are not allowed to not hire somebody because of their religion, for example. Mr. Stern is very upset about this, and he asks, quote, If you think this is not about suppressing political speech, contemplate a parallel. There's no definition of anti-black racism that has the force of law when evaluating a Title VI case. If you were to craft one, would you include opposition to affirmative action, opposing removal of Confederate statues? End quote. In other words, and he's certainly right about this, Zionism is an ideology. According to the Zionists, it's an ideology that benefits Jews. I say it's an ideology that harms Jews. Regardless, it's an ideology and as such may be criticized and even opposed by somebody that disagrees with it. It's in the same class as communism or capitalism or feminism or affirmative action. These are all ideas and ideas can always be opposed and even attempted to be eliminated, as opposed to people who have rights. Ideas have no rights. There's no question about that, which just begs the question, why is it that so many people accept this IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, including over 30 countries, 
the United States of America, State Department included. How is it possible that so many people can accept such an obviously absurd notion? Now, I'm going to answer that. The second question that I'm going to answer is Mr. Stern's question. Isn't including anti-Zionism in a definition of anti-Semitism for legal purposes the same as including opposition to affirmative action or removal of Confederate statues in a definition of anti-black racism? There he's wrong. And I'll explain why. Many people believe, and on the face of things it certainly seems this way, that the only conceivable reason that anybody would accept the idea that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism is political in order to stifle criticism of Israel. I don't agree. I believe that if you accept Zionist ideology as a premise, then there is indeed a need nowadays to expand the definition of anti-Semitism beyond what we understand it to be today in order to legitimately protect Jews from anti-Semitism. The problem is, it's that Zionist premise that inevitably leads to this absurd idea that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. In order to understand this, we need to first take a step back and understand what Zionism is. There are all sorts of different definitions given for Zionism, and Zionists will tell you that there are all sorts of different types of Zionism. This is all true, but Zionism does have an essential feature. All Zionisms. Zionism, more than anything else, had as, as its primary objective to change the definition of what it means to be a Jew. Prior to Zionism, the definition of a Jew was whatever the religion Judaism said it was. In fact, the actual idea of Jews was created by the Jewish religion, meaning whoever the Jewish religion said is obligated in the responsibilities given to Jews by the religion, by definition, that person is a Jew. And so the Jews, meaning the people who were given those responsibilities, spent their lives making the fulfillment of those responsibilities their aspirations. As the Bible says, the Jews are designed to be, or supposed to be, a mamleches kehanim v'goy kodosh, meaning a kingdom of priests and a holy society, studying Torah, doing the mitzvahs, fulfilling their religious obligations. That's what being a Jew meant. That's what it always meant, for thousands of years. The Zionists believed that these values, aspirations that the Jews had caused them trouble. They believed that those values and aspirations caused character deficiencies in the Jew. They willingly removed themselves from history. They weren't interested in winning Nobel Prizes like normal people, gold medals like normal people, art like normal people are, science, architecture, sports, winning wars and being mighty warriors like normal people are interested in. The Jews never had military heroes. All the Jews wanted was to be left alone, yes, in their segregated communities to be able to pursue their life's mission. For people like me, 
and the religious Jews. This is what we still want. But there were those that believed that these aspirations and values were responsible for a retrograde personality and for a large part of anti-Semitism. So they wanted a new identity. And once upon a time, there were many different ideas as to how to express this new identity. There were those that said, let's just assimilate. There were those that said, let's become communists. And then there were the Zionists. The common denominator between all of these groups was that they wanted to recreate themselves and all the Jewish people to reconstitute them into a new people. And the particular appeal of Zionism was enhanced by the success of nationalism in those days. Zionism is basically Jewish nationalism. But the Jews never looked at themselves as a nationality, and that's what the Zionists wanted to change. There were pseudo-Zionist groups that said, you know what, let's just stop being Jews and, and become a new nationality. We'll name ourselves the Canaanim, and we will be an indigenous Middle Eastern nationality, but we're not Jews. We have nothing to do with the Jews. This group called the Canaanim was led by a man named Uriel Halpern, and it was a small but disproportionately influential group until it fizzled out after a few decades. And the reason it fizzled out is because this identity of Canaanism was an obvious charade. There was no such nationality known to human beings before these people invented it. They had no roots, no background. Nationalities are well served if you could invent a mythological history, like, for example, Iranian nationalism consider themselves the modern incarnation of the ancient Persian Empire of Cyrus, modern Egypt, the, the contemporary incarnation of the days of the pharaohs. Turkey tied themselves to the ancient Hittites. This new nationality couldn't tie itself to anything or chose not to. So it, it fizzled out. The Zionists had a better idea. They were not going to create a nation from scratch. There are two ways to create a new identity for an individual. I mean, if let's say somebody wants to just disappear and become a new person, witness protection plan or something. So the first way you can do it is to Get yourself new papers, new driver's license, find a way to get a birth certificate, um, all the past records, manufacture them, make sure they match, and now you're the new person. That's not so easy. Much easier than that, though, is to kill somebody and then take his papers and say you're him. There are people used to do this in, in Europe where they, if they wanted to get out of the draft, they would go to the death records and find somebody who died when they were a baby that would be the same age as you, and you would take their birth certificate and become them. This was what the Zionists wanted to do. They wanted to kill Jewish identity as it was known then, meaning the rabbinic, Judaic understanding of Jewishness, and replace it with a national one. So the Zionists were not just going to become a new people. They were going to become a new incarnation of the Jewish people. But for all practical purposes, it was a completely new people. And they considered this identity transformation mission critical 
to the continuity of the Jewish people, because so long as the Jewish people would retain their old Judaic rabbinic identity, they would never be normal. Now, to many, this may seem like a new idea, even far-fetched, but the truth is it's not even controversial, although this is not taught in the average Hebrew day school, and the folk version of Zionism is completely different. Historically, this is not controversial at all. The objective of Zionism was to create a new people. Herzl, Ben-Gurion, Jabotinsky, they all said it. It's on the last page of Herzl's book, The Jewish State. The last thing Herzl writes in his book, The Jewish State, about how a new breed of Jews will come to exist. And the idea that Zionism came to negate Jewish identity the way it was, that's also not controversial. Uh, as Michal Yosef Berdachevsky put it, he's described the objective of Zionism. Quote, We must cease to be Jews by virtue of an abstract Judaism and become Jews in our own right as a living and developing nationality. Such a choice promises us a noble future. A great responsibility rests upon us, for everything lies in our hand. We are either the last Jews or the first of a new nation. Chaim Hazaz, one of Israel's most illustrious writers, described the relationship between Zionism and Judaism this way, quote, Zionism and Judaism are not at all the same, but two things quite different from each other and maybe even two things directly opposite each other, at any rate, far from the same. When a man can no longer be a Jew, he becomes a Zionist. Again, this is not a secret. The way this phenomenon is described by Amnon Rubinstein in his book From Herzl to Rabin is as follows, quote, To be a Goy, a Goy means a Gentile, someone who's not Jewish. To be a Goy was therefore the dominant theme of Zionist philosophy in its formative period. The idea was so forceful that it united the warring factions and parties. On everything else, the Zionists differed. Territorialists, ready to consider territories outside Palestine as a night shelter for the hard-pressed Jews, clashed with the Zionists of Zion who regarded any substitute for the ancestral homeland, including the notorious British offer to settle Jewish refugees in Uganda, as high treason. Practical Zionists who believed in practical steps to implement Zionism railed against those who believed mainly in political and international action. Labor Zionists who saw the return to Zion inextricably intertwined with the socialist universal mission fought against the Zionist right, which gave precedence to the national cause. Even the basic idea of a Jewish state did not escape dispute, and much doubt was cast on its soundness and practicality. One idea, however, one craving, one urge, enjoyed a veritable consensus. To be a new people, to escape the role that history had imposed on the Jews, to become, in Herzl's words, a wondrous breed of Jews which will spring up from the earth. End quote. He talks about the Zionist call for revolution against passivity, against tradition, against all which at the time was synonymous with Jewishness. End quote. Zionism was designed to create a new 
Jewish identity, not a new nation like the Canaanim wanted, not a new nation like the British colonists did when they created the United States of America, but to take the already existing Jews and to change their definition from the rabbinic Judaic identity to the Zionist identity. Here was the problem, though. That was an unattainable goal. There was an insurmountable problem that the Zionists had here, and that is you can't change the definition of something into something else and keep its characteristics. Let's take a truck, for example. I know what a truck is. A truck is a type of vehicle. Now, let's say I want to say a truck is not a type of vehicle. That's not the definition of a truck. Instead, a truck is a pancake. The problem is, how can I say a truck is a pancake if it has all the characteristics of a truck? The reason why something is defined the way it is defined is because it has the characteristics of whatever it's defined as. And if you change the characteristics, you can change the definition. But you can't keep the characteristics and then say it's something else. So if the Zionists wanted to create a new nation, the way the British colonists created the United States of America, so first they were British and now they're Americans, and the definition of an American is somebody from America. But they didn't want to create a new nation like the Canaanim. They wanted to use the already existing population of Jews and change their definition into something else. The problem is because the Jewish people always understood themselves to be defined by the religion, meaning whoever the religion says is a Jew is Jewish and whoever it says is not Jewish is not Jewish. So for example, if you have a Jewish mother that makes you Jewish, if you convert, you can become Jewish. So therefore, the idea, the definition of a Jew, the self-understanding of a Jew is based on religious doctrine. If you want to change the definition of a Jew, you have to match your new definition to the characteristics that the Jews already have. You have conversion. You can convert to Judaism. You going to change that? Whoever has a Jewish mother is Jewish. If you have a Jewish father but not a Jewish mother, you're not Jewish. You going to change that? If you're going to change all the characteristics of the Jewish people, going to change the rules, then you're the Canaanim. If you're not going to change the rules, you're going to redefine this population, you're going to have to provide this population with a sufficient understanding of themselves that will allow them to still understand their characteristics, but according to your new definition. And the Zionists were never able to do that. According to Zionism, what makes a Jew a Jew? It used to be the rabbinic definition of Judaism was whoever the religion says is Jewish is Jewish. And the only thing connecting all Jews with each other was the Torah. Over a thousand years ago, Rabbi Sad Yagon expressed this succinctly. Our people are not a people except by virtue of their Torah. Nothing else do the Jews have in common. They did not have a common language. Once upon a time, biblical times, the Jews spoke Hebrew, but those times are long gone. For thousands of years, the Jews did not speak Hebrew. They spoke all sorts of different languages. They did not have a common culture. They did not have a common land. They had no national characteristics. They were, were all sorts of different races. What makes a Jew a Jew? Now, what are the Zion, how are the Zionists going to answer that question? That 
was the problem, and to this day they have not resolved it. But this too is not a secret. Nor is it merely the orthodox Jewish view. This is a historically uncontroversial fact. And, and I believe that this, more than anything else, is the key to understanding what Zionism is. It is not a redefinition of Jewishness. It's an undefinition of Jewishness. Although the Zionists refer to their country as the Jewish state, not just the Jewish state, the Jewish state, the nation-state law says that it's the nation-state of all the Jews, but they cannot define what a Jew is. It's not like when America was created. An American is whoever comes from America, but they presuppose the existence of Jews. And they just say that Israel is the state of those Jews. But what are the Jews? Try as they might, they could not, for the life of them, find any definition of Jewishness. Not that they couldn't find a precise definition. They couldn't define every single member of the population of Jews. They couldn't even figure out what the basic idea of a Jew is. And God knows they tried. Are Jews a religion? Well, but you have atheist Jews. They don't believe in the religion. What makes them Jews? What do they believe makes them Jews? I could say the reason why they're Jews is because the religion declares that they're obligated to fulfill the commandments, even if they don't. The obligation is what makes them Jews. But an atheist that doesn't believe that, how does he define Jewishness? Okay, so it's not a religion. But if it's not a religion, if it's anything else other than a religion, can you have a Jew that practices Christianity? Can you have a Jew who's a Christian or a Jew who's a Muslim? Or, or does a Jew have to have a certain religion? Well, guess what? The early Zionists, when they were trying to define Zionism, actually disagreed about that. The issue was actually a raging controversy between Zionists Yosef Chaim Brenner and Usher Ginsburg, also known as Achad Ha'am. Israel Zangville said that when the Jews get a state, the Holy Sepulchre will be guarded by Jews who were baptized, and the Omar Mosque by Jews who have embraced Islam. According to these people, according to these Zionists, there's a very logical train of thought here. If being a Jew is not a religion, then shouldn't a Jew be free to follow any religion that he wants? And indeed, indeed, according to the Israeli law of return, which promises anybody who's defined as a Jew by Israeli law citizenship if he asks for it. An atheist can be a Jew because he's born Jewish. But if you're born Jewish and you practice a religion that's not Judaism, you're not entitled to the law of return. You're not considered a Jew in that sense. There was a Supreme Court case in Israel, Brother Daniel, who was a Carmelite monk. He was born Jewish and later converted to Christianity. He was not an anti-Semite. In fact, he saved hundreds of Jews in Belarus from the Nazis during the Holocaust. He comes to Israel after the war, and he wants to become a citizen under the law of return. The Israeli Supreme Court says, no, you're a Christian, because you practice Christianity. Now, at the end, he became a citizen under naturalization, like any Christian can become but he was not qualified for the law of return. So the Zionists don't believe that being a Jew is a religion because you could be an atheist Jew, yet you can't be a Christian Jew. This, of course, is a logical contradiction, and it was indeed brought up to Ben-Gurion in 1958 when Israel was trying to formulate 
the definition of a Jew because they needed one in order to draft the law of return, Ben-Gurion sought the advice of 50 of what he considered, quote, scholars of Judaism around the world, soliciting their opinion about what criteria Israel should use to recognize someone as a Jew. And uh, amongst those people were rabbis, scholars, uh, random writers, poets, and other people who didn't even consider themselves authorities on Judaism. One of the rabbis that he wrote to, Rabbi Yechiel Yaakov Weinberg, wrote back, quote, Why would the Israeli government recognize as a Jew someone who's altogether irreligious but sincerely declares his readiness to join the Jewish fold in a national sense, but deny the same privilege to one who equally professes his desire for Jewish nationality, yet remaining in his religious adherence to either Christianity or Islam. Is an atheistic Gentile preferable? And Ben-Gurion did not have an answer to that. It's indeed a contradiction. Jabotinsky and Moses Hess said that being Jewish is a race. It's actually a racial thing. Of course, again, if being Jewish is a race, then black person is equally black whether he's an atheist or a Christian or a Muslim. So, too, a member of the Jewish race could be equally Jewish whether he's an atheist or Christian or Muslim or practices the Jewish religion. What does it matter what religion you practice? Just like you can be black regardless of your religion, you can still be Jewish regardless of your religion. And then how do you explain the fact that there are Jews who are obviously of different races? And it wasn't just Jabotinsky and Hess. Arthur Arthur Rupin believed this, and the prominent Zionist biologist, doctor, and Big Shot member of the faculty and board of directors of the Hebrew University, Redcliffe Nathan Salomon, wrote in an article in 1911 in the first issue of the Journal of Genetics called The Heredity of the Jews. He said there that a Jew is a solid biological entity, identifiable by the shape of his skull, his features, his bodily measurements caused by a Jewish gene that was responsible for his distinctive physical appearance, and that's the definition of a Jew. Now, the problem is, besides that, if this is true, then you could be a Jew regardless of your religion. He actually said, quote, It's perhaps owing to this severe process of selection, the Jews have not only preserved their great natural racial gifts, but through a long process of selection, these gifts have become strengthened. The terrible conditions under which the Jews lived during the last 500 years necessitated a bitter struggle for life in which only the cleverest and strongest survived. The result is that the Jew of today, in the Jew of today, we have what is in some respects a particularly valuable human type. And then he says, It is perhaps owing to this severe process of selection that the Ashkenazim today a superior in activity, intelligence, and scientific capacity to the Svardim and Arabian Jews in spite of their common ancestry. How does he explain the fact that there are obviously people with different physical characteristics than those which he just described that have always been accepted as Jewish? And where does that leave converts? So Rupin didn't explain the converts thing, but he did explain the Jews of different race thing. Yemenite Jews, he said, are smaller and more submissive in nature than their Ashkenazi brothers, and therefore, Salomon said about them, quote, they are not Jews, they are black, with an elongated skull, Arab half-castes. The true Jew, he said, is the European Ashkenazi. 
Then there are others. Franz Rosenzweig, for example, said that the Jews are a family, like all related to each other. Cousins, 10th cousins, 20th cousins. But this too is inconsistent because how do you explain converts? Well, in a 2006 article in Commentary magazine, an Orthodox Jew tried to defend Rosenzweig and explain to us how it's possible for an unrelated foreigner to become part of a blood family. His answer is, quote, In some way that we cannot fully comprehend, a convert is bound into that same physical family. Okay, in some way we cannot fully comprehend. And why is it that Jews only recognized Jews of maternal lineage and not paternal lineage? So we can't fully understand converts. And don't forget, a convert is somebody that converts through a process of religious ritual. Nobody has explained this. And what are the parameters of this family? What if your mother's Jewish and your father is not, or your father's Jewish and your mother is not? Who makes these rules? The truth is that it's the religion that always made these rules. There is no other source of authority. If you want to use science, which is how families are defined, blood families at least, then that doesn't match with the way Jews were always treating their own identity. Usher Ginsburg, also known as Achad Ha'am, the creator of the so-called spiritual Zionism, believed that the Jewish people is a collective biological organism that, driven by the will to exist, creates various methods for survival via a mechanism called the national genius, which changes throughout its history to accommodate different challenges similar to the way an organism adapts to different circumstances. Ginsburg's view, which was strongly influenced by Darwinian evolutionary theory, held that religion was but one of these survival mechanisms, which would be abandoned when the time came that survival of the nation needed to adapt to new historical circumstances. Culture is another example. The problem is that such a definition of Jewishness begs the question. All of these theories, these Darwinian ideas, merely offer an opinion about how the nation survives, but it doesn't explain what the nation is. The survival mechanisms of a living organism protect an identifiable organism, but what identifiable organism is it that these national survival instincts protect? You can have an organism without survival mechanisms, but you can't have survival mechanisms without an organism. If so, what exactly is the organism of the Jewish nation that, that needs to survive? Ginsburg's thesis, even if somebody's willing for some reason to accept it, still does not explain what a Jew is. Well, Ginsburg himself did try to answer this question in an essay that he called Three Stages. He says, quote, Neither a Jewish outlook, nor the Torah, nor Jewish belief, none of these are the original cause, the first cause, meaning of Jewishness. Rather, it is the Jewish sensibility, an instinctive feeling that cannot be defined in words. Call it a sense of race, or the spirit of a nation, or more than anything else, it should be called the Jewish heart, end quote. Cannot be defined in words indeed. By what means it can be defined still remains a mystery. I mean, how does somebody know that he's Jewish? Now, people say, when I tell them this, that, well, defining things is never a 100% science. 
And that's true. But here it's not a question of being a 100% science. It's a question of just the general definition. You have Jews of all races. It's not a question of 100%. There, there are cars and there are trucks. And then there's vans in between. But you know what a car is and you know what a truck is. You know what the characteristics of a car is and what the characteristics of a truck is. If something has both characteristics, then it becomes a question. I have an ongoing dispute with my dry cleaners regarding a certain garment of mine that I, I wear as a rabbi on Sabbath and holiday. We call it a, a kapota in Yiddish, and in English it's a modern version of what was called a Prince Albert frock. I say it's a jacket because it's worn as a jacket over my shirt. It comes as a suit with a matching pair of pants. But my cleaners, my dry cleaners, wants to charge me for a coat, not a jacket, because he says it's, it has the characteristics of a coat. It, it's size. It's big. It's long. So we all know what a jacket is. We all know what a coat is. Now you have some unit that has characteristics of both. But I can give you the characteristics of a coat and the characteristics of a jacket. I'm asking, what are the characteristics of a Jew? What are the characteristics? Just define the term. If you give me a definition that there's some peripherals, I understand. But we're asking for what's the basic definition. In other words, give me a definition that has the definitiveness of any other definition you'll find in a dictionary. The Zionists were unable to do that. And Ben-Gurion indeed admitted he said quote according to some definition jews are a religious group and there are jews who accept this definition but there are jews without any definitions these are true jews i am one of them i need no definitions i am what i am end quote now he's right according to zionism there's no viable definition of jewishness Ben-Gurion, however, should have stopped there, but he didn't. Instead, he said that a Jew without definitions is, quote, the true Jew. Obviously, such a sentiment is not intellectually sustainable. For starters, if there's no definition of Jew, how does anyone know whether he is, in fact, Jewish? And why call yourself by a label that's altogether meaningless? And really, if conversions are such a problem, based on your understanding of what Jewishness is, who says you can convert anybody? After all, it's not engraved in stone. Maybe you can't convert somebody to Judaism. Again, it's only religious doctrine. It's the religion that says you can convert people to Judaism. So why don't you say, no, you can't convert? But you see, they're not willing to do that either because they want to both redefine what it means to be a Jew, but also retain the current population of Jews. And that's impossible to do. It's like, you know what it's like? It's like somebody who doesn't believe in the number two. He counts one, three, four, five. He doesn't believe in two. Then watch as he tries to figure out what five minus three equals. He can be the best mathematician in the world, but if he doesn't believe in two, it's not going to work. If you don't believe in the understanding of Jewish identity, that has determined Jewishness and Jewish identity for thousands of years, then there is no way that you're going to find another definition that matches the current population of Jews. And, and this, too, is not a secret. I, I wrote about this extensively in my book. 
the empty wig in Zionism's journey from identity crisis to identity theft. And I said that this is the one most important thing to understand about Zionism. Israel calls itself the Jewish state, the nation state of the Jews, but they cannot define what it means to be a Jew. And because they cannot define what it means to be a Jew, it renders their statements about the Jewish state, the Jewish people, the nation state of the Jews meaningless. And this too is not a secret. It's been presented repeatedly from the beginning of Zionism. And it's not specifically the Orthodox Jewish view. It's just historical fact. I have in front of me a book called Sovereign Jews, Israel, Zionism, and Judaism, written by a Yaakov Yadgar. He's a um, Stanley Lewis professor of Israel studies at the University of Oxford. Sovereign Jews, Yaakov Yadgar, right at the beginning of the book on page three in the introduction, quote, this, I would argue, is the key to understanding the history of Zionism and the sociopolitics of the state of Israel. Zionism has embarked on this project of establishing Jewish sovereignty as the very meaning of Jewishness or Jewish identity has been fundamentally put in question. Most significantly, while Zionist ideology takes a central role in the debate over the meaning of Jewishness, rebelling against the rabbinical understandings and meanings of this identity, it nevertheless neglected or failed to offer a viable, positive, meaningful understanding or definition of Jewishness. In other words, Zionism's rebellion against Jewish traditions that have historically constructed or defined Jewishness was not complemented by the construction or invention of a viable alternative meaning instilled in Jewish identity. End quote. God knows they tried. It was just an impossible task. It cannot be done. Zionism did not redefine Judaism. It just undefined it. And it's not only scholars and academics who have said this. In 1958, there was a debate in the Knesset regarding the Mi Yehudi law, the who is a Jew law, the law of return. During that discussion, Knesset member Yitzchak Meir Levine brought this up there. Quote, we know what a Jew is and what the Jewish people is. Forgive me if I say that if you search, you will discover that all those who maintain that Israel is a nation like all others have never seriously contemplated their own words. They have no idea themselves where they're going or where they're leading others. Come and find out for yourselves the nature of this new society you intended to create here, its contents and its nature. You helped to destroy the old one, to demolish it, but without any substitute. We know the Torah made us into a people. As Rav Sajigon said, our nation exists only by its religion. That is the only content binding us together into one unique people. End quote. The exact same sentiment. Zionism succeeded in destroying, in, in demolishing the old definition of Jewishness in the Zionist mind, but it did not replace it with anything else. You helped to destroy the old one, to demolish it, but without any substitute. Ben Gurion, during that debate, did not come up with a substitute. Remember, he was the one that said that Jews have no definition. And this idea was stated even before 
the state of Israel was created. Rabbi Elchonon Wasserman, who was killed in World War II, said about the Zionists, quote, When someone wants to build a new house on a spot that an old house stands, he is forced to first destroy the old one and to clear a space. Only then can he build something new. When the Zionists want to raise a new nation, a Jewish nation that's identical to all the other nations, they are forced to first destroy the old nation. Regarding the first part, destroying, they were apparently more successful than they themselves had ever imagined. This was even before 1948. And Professor Yadgar is correct. Not only is this incontrovertible, but it is also the key to understanding the history of Zionism. With this, everything makes sense. Without it, nothing makes sense. As time goes by, the Zionists continue to try to tie Jewish identity with Israel. Israel's is the nation-state of all Jews. The Jews are connected to Israel. Israel is the Jewish state. And every now and then voices are heard amongst the Zionists popping up with new definitions of what a Jew is, continuing to try to figure out the answer to 5 minus 3 without invoking the number 2. For example, Shimon Peres, when he was foreign minister of Israel, in 2002, he spoke to a group of new immigrants, and he said, quote, The definition of a Jew should not depend on having a Jewish parent or grandparent. Rather, a Jew is someone who raises children in Israel, sends them to the army, and sometimes even loses them in battle. End quote. Perez said that if rabbis wanted to define who a Jew is, then quote, we will define who a rabbi is, end quote. So me, I'm not connected to Israel, so I'm not a Jew. By the way, I am perfectly content with Shimon Peres considering me not Jewish. It doesn't bother me at all that his desire to connect Jewish identity to Israel omits me or excludes me. That's fine. What I consider a Jew and what he considers a Jew, what the Jewish people have considered a Jew for thousands of years versus what Shimon Peres woke up one day and decided is a Jew, what Zionism decides is a Jew, are, are just homonyms. And the Jewish people that I belong to, he claims, doesn't exist, and the Jewish nationality that he claims is the only definition of a Jew, I say doesn't exist. It was a synthetically engineered concept in order to support the Zionist enterprise. In any case, today, according to the Zionists nowadays, Jewish identity is increasingly tied to Israel. For many Jews, that is what being Jewish means, a connection to the state of Israel. They're not Israeli nationals. They never lived there. They're not Israeli citizens, but some kind of connection, loyalty, reliance upon Israel for a safety, whether that's a realistic idea or not, some type of loyalty to Israel. These definitions, definition of Perez, or even a more modest definition, but as long as the definition of a Jew is some connection between the Jew and Israel, Israel's the state and the Jews are the nation of that state, or Ahad Ha'am's definition 
where it's the Jewish heart or Ben-Gurion's definition that there is no definition. All of these definitions put the Jews in a strange position amongst the other minorities all over the world. So, for example, let's talk about the Title VI and Title VII laws in this country against discrimination. It's extremely important to understand that there is no law anywhere that says it is unlawful to discriminate against Jews per se. Jews are not mentioned as a protected class. Instead, we have different types of minorities, race, religion, national origin, and the like. In order to make discrimination against Jews unlawful, you need to define what a Jew is because you need to classify Jew under one of the protected classes. Now, some of these classes vary by state. For example, political affiliation or political uh, ideology. If being a Jew is a political ideology or political affiliation, then in certain states it's permitted to discriminate against Jews. If being a Jew is a religion, then in any state it is prohibited. If being a Jew is an ethnicity, then it's one of the protected classes. But if being a Jew is not a religion and it's not an ethnicity, and let's say it has no definition, or it means an affiliation with Israel, or Shimon Peres's definition that uh, whoever is loyal to Israel and fights for Israel is a Jew, or well, let's take Achad Ham's definition that the definition of Jew is somebody with this uh, Jewish heart that has some type of sense of camaraderie. Having a sense of camaraderie with other human beings is not a protected class anywhere. If you want to call the Jews an ethnicity, if you want to call the Jews a, a religion, if you want to call the Jews a race, we can put these in classes. But in order to make anti-Semitism unlawful in the United States under Title VI or Title VII, it's not enough to say, this guy discriminated against a Jew. The defendant could say, well, tell me what's a Jew. According to what Shimon Peres means, that a Jew is somebody who's loyal to Israel. There wouldn't be any law against discriminating against Jews. National origin is certainly not what Israel is to a regular American Jew who was born and bred over here. According to Ben-Gurion, that a Jew has no definition, then how could you classify it? How could you hold somebody responsible for violating a statute against certain protected classes if you cannot bring a preponderance of evidence to say that the defendant discriminated against someone in any of the protected classes. And it's true that although technically Title VI doesn't prohibit discrimination on the basis of religion, still the law has said that discrimination against groups like Jews, Muslims, Sikhs, and members of other religious groups violates Title VI when and if the discrimination is based on the group's actual or perceived shared ancestry or ethnic characteristics, even if not its members' religious practice. But what if the anti-Semite or the discriminator says, you know what, I, I believe Ben-Gurion, Jews have no definition, they are not a shared ethnicity, they don't share ancestry, 
Ivanka Trump is a Jew. She was converted. She doesn't share ancestry with anybody. So let's say somebody says, look, I'm not discriminating against this person because he's Israeli or because he's of his religion or because he has a citizenship or residence in some country. I'm discriminating him against him because he's a Zionist, because he has a loyalty to the state of Israel. Yes, he's Jewish. And not only that, that is what makes him a Jew. I agree with Shimon Peres. I agree with Ben-Gurion even that the Jew has no definition and has nothing to do with ethnicity. I don't think the Jews are an ethnicity. And he makes it clear that that's why he's discriminating. I don't want somebody who's loyal to Israel. I don't want somebody who's willing to fight in the Israeli army. He's not a citizen or resident of that country. I don't want somebody who, who flies an Israeli flag. He's not religious. And if he is, his religion is not why I'm discriminating against him. Or what if he says, look, Jews have no definition. I believe Ben-Gurion. I don't like Jews. I don't like people without definitions. How's that? You know, this is a mystery to me. I don't know what these guys are. I have no idea. I don't like people with no definitions. There's a country out there that claims they're his state. I smell a disloyalty to the United States. I'm not saying he is, but I'm not interested in getting involved with people who celebrates the Independence Day of another country more than he celebrates the Independence Day of the United States of America, or even somebody who's affiliated with a foreign country. There's a foreign country that says that they are his state. He's not a citizen. He's not a resident. And you ask him what a Jew is, so Ben-Gurion himself says they have no definition. I'm not, involved in, I'm not interested in getting involved with these people. This sounds like a political thing to me. I'm not interested. See, the more you define Jews out of the normal traditional minority classes, race, religion, ethnicity, national origin, and you move them towards a vague, not clearly defined affiliation with a political ideology, Zionism, or a political construct, meaning the state of Israel, the less anti-Semitism would be considered something that's traditionally protected against under our anti-discrimination laws. If I say wrongly, Jews are an ethnicity, or if I say Jews are a religion, I'm protected. But if I say, no, you know what a Jew is, it's not really any of these things, but rather it's some type of affiliation with the state of Israel. I, I believe in the values of the prophets. I believe in my liberalism. I believe in skepticism, plus I have a connection with the state of Israel. Tell me, where, why, is, why are those people considered a minority? They're not a minority in the sense that discrimination against them is a protected class. Those people have a political ideology. They're more like communists or capitalists or socialists or whatever. At the same time, I certainly agree, there's no question, that Jewish students, despite the Zionists' undefining of their identity do deserve protection against anti-Semitism. The problem is that the more the Zionist definitions or non-definitions or pseudo-definitions of Jews take hold, and the more Jews themselves identify with them, the more they define themselves outside of the traditional types of minorities that society feels obligated to protect. The more you call into question what exactly a Jew is, and the more you give these vague definitions, especially if they're connected to some country or an ideology of Zionism, 
or that you're persecuted. Theodore Herzl said the definition of a Jew is the people who the anti-Semites hate. The French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said the same thing. There is no protected class of people who, who are hated. They're creating a new type of minority that's either undefined or defined in some vague way or defined differently by different people. But at the same time, they deserve protection. And therefore, it's important to them to expand the definition of anti-Semitism to include them because they are a minority. The truth is, the Zionist definitions, they're designed to obtain the loyalty of Jews all over the world by claiming that they're the state of the Jews or that an affiliation with Israel is part of what makes you Jewish or all of what makes you Jewish. And increasingly, as, as Jews believe this, the anti-Semites have more and more of an excuse to discriminate against them because they say, look, these people are no different than, I don't know, people who believe in communism or capitalism or, or some political ideology. It's an affiliation, a loyalty to a foreign country. And even if it's not a loyal, I don't mean foreign country disloyal to America, that type of thing. Even if they're loyal to the United States, a loyalty to a political construct or ideology, and a country's just a political construct. If that's the way the anti-Semites are going to look at Jews, then that's going to increase anti-Semitism, and it's going to decrease the level of protection that the law gives Jewish people. And so the Zionists are right to feel unsafe, despite the great laws that we have in this country and other countries to protect minorities, because it's not really anti-Semitism that's changing. It's the definition of the Jew that's changing in their mind. And if they change the definition of Jew to some type of newfangled, pseudo-political, national affiliation, that is Zionism, they need, in order to be protected, to expand the definition of anti-Semitism to protect them. So I see their dilemma they deserve protection, and they're shooting themselves in the foot by accepting a Zionist Jewish identity. But the solution is not to make anti-Zionism anti-Semitism, because no matter how you cut it, anti-Zionism is still the opposition to a political ideology, and freedom of thought and freedom of speech demands that the opposition to any political ideology be protected itself, and not only freedom of thought and freedom of speech, freedom of religion. As a religious Jew, I oppose Zionism. And it's a valid question how to protect these students, these Zionist students for whom Zionism is their Jewish identity. But as a great rabbi once said, it's better to have a good question than a bad answer. Making anti-Zionism into anti-Semitism is a bad answer. We need to find a better one. But if we're going to find a better one, we really have to start looking at this problem for what it is. It's not a problem of mutating anti-Semitism. It's a problem of defining Jewish identity. Because anti-Semitism does not mean opposing an ideology. It means opposing Jews. Thanks for listening to Committing High Reason. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. For the latest from Rabbi Shapiro and to sign up for his newsletter, head on over to committinghighreason.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.